Hi, this is Wilson, lead pastor of Renew Church OC. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our sermon series, Psalms, the Internal Life of David, pairs narratives from David's life with Psalms that help us pull back the curtain to understand what he's feeling, how he's praying, and the way he's relating to God. LA is all about how you look and the two-second impression you give to other people. But God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at the heart. I hope this series helps us to take our eyes off of the external and focuses our attention on developing our internal life with Jesus. One, two, one, two. All right, y'all. Go ahead and turn your chairs back around. Good to see everyone this morning. Really sweet to dedicate the babies. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalms 115, and then we'll get started. Uh, We'll do another time at the end of of breakout and prayer for each other, so you guys can continue the discussion that way. But thanks again for coming to our church, and um, again, we're voting for AC next week. (laughs) Please vote for AC. All right. Today we're going to look at verse 1, and we're going to think about worship through the lens of Psalms. And the first point is worship asks who gets the glory. In verse 1, it says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And we're always worshiping, and in our society, it's so easy to worship ourselves. It's so easy to post things on Instagram or Facebook from 10 years ago or real something. I forgot the new one. And, and direct everyone's attention to us, liking us, liking the vacations we've gone on or the food we've eaten or our accomplishments. And I'm not saying that's why we do it every time, but it's easy to be self-focused. It's easy to be about our name and our glory. But the psalmist here is almost begging, not to us, oh Lord, not to us, but to your name. And it's something we have to continue to repeat to our hearts like it does in this psalm. And then it says, for your love and faithfulness. That's why the psalmist wants to give God glory, for his love and faithfulness. But I could think of a a lot of other reasons, like he's the creator of the universe, or his power, or his omnipotence. And yet it was this relational tie to God and the psalmist that he was worshiping, uh, that drove his motivation to worship. It was the psalmist's connection with God, not in nature or power, but in love, in faithfulness that made him come to a place where he says, my whole life is to point to you. Then verse 2, it says, why do the nations say, where is their God? And at this time, we think the psalm was written uh, in the time of the exile, where Jerusalem is burned to the ground, the temple is taken down, and they're scattered amongst other nations that are heathen, that are pagan, that don't know God. And they, they could point to their idols. They said, my God's right here. It's, it's carved in stone or in metal. And when I pray, it does this. Um, it's located. I could touch it. I could see it. Where is your God? Why can't I touch and see your God? And the psalmist says, our God is in heaven. He doesn't reside on earth. And he does whatever pleases him. God asks Israelite in one of the first commandments not to make a graven image of him. 
not to carve his image, his person into stone or rock or metal. But we want to do that, don't we? There's a desire in our soul that wants to wrap our minds around God, to feel like we can fully understand him, to feel like if we pray this, he'll do that. It gives us a sense of control and comprehension. But when we feel that way about God, we've made him small and we've made ourselves big. God exists beyond our comprehension. We don't understand what it means for him to be outside of time, write history, and still gift us free will. We don't know what it means for him to love beings infinitely smaller than him, counting hairs on your head, taking care of the sparrows, and then direct the cosmos. Stand in wonder before our king. Never stop being surprised by him. Allow some of your questions to stay humbly unanswered. If you feel like your walk with God is stagnant, maybe it's because you think you figured him out. This whole religion thing, you've done it for a few decades. You know where it's going. If you feel like your religion is stagnant, maybe it's because you boxed God instead of and carved an image of him so that you could get your arms around him instead of being surprised by him, instead of standing in awe of him, instead of spending your whole life just trying to understand one facet of who he is. Is God an idol or is he in heaven and one who does what he pleases? The next slide talks about contrasting this God with worthless idols. Okay, you can touch your God, you know where it is, you can see it, but their idols are silver and gold made with human hands. And right away we know that this idol is less than its makers because it did not make us, we made it. And you're always subordinate to your makers. Nothing you made is greater than you. And what he's already saying is that you are greater than the God you've made. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Nose but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound from their throats. When we think about idols, we think about how worthless they are. And yet, we are idol worshipers as much as the pagans. We don't have maybe a statue sitting in our house. Maybe we don't go to a temple with a graven image. But these idols that they worshiped are the same idols that we worship. You worshiped an idol so that you could get rich. You worshiped an idol so that you could have sexual exploits. You worship this idol so that you could have more children. And isn't that what we worship in our society, wealth and sex and family? Maybe instead of having graven images, we have people like Elon Musk that we worship. We worship his lifestyle. We worship his, um, his successes. Or we have a sex icon that we worship. And we're all over her Instagram and we want to look just like her. Or we can easily just worship suburbia and have all of our hopes and dreams fixated on that. You see, we might not be worshiping the same image, but we worship the same thing. 
So let me break down what, idol, uh, what it looks like to worship idols. According to Tim Keller, he wrote, writes this amazing book called Counterf Counterfeit Gods, right? Just like if you think about counterfeit money, it's not the same thing. It's worthless, but it looks the same. And this is what Tim Keller is saying about idolatry and counterfeit gods. What is an idol? An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek and give what only God can give. Anything that is so cent central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Have you ever felt that way? That man, if I lost my business, if I lost my house, if, I lo if this girl doesn't like me back, my life is not worth living anymore. When I think about some of the new idol, the new idol that has come into my life, uh, we're gonna have a daughter in a few months, in, in November. And um, we have two sons. Every time I found out about their gender, I started crying. So that's how much I wanted a daughter. I'm like, if we keep shooting, we'll get one, right? So, so when I remember um, we had the gender reveal, I was so nervous. We popped the balloon. We actually didn't want anyone there because we were just going to cry. We were just going to cry if it was a boy or a girl, but for different reasons. So we popped the balloon. My, like, like pink confetti is raining all over my face. I felt like I won the championships in the NBA. My hand is up. Levi, I'm holding him. His little arm is up. And I'm just like worshiping my daughter. I'm basically worshiping my daughter. And I knew this because a few days later, I thought, my life is now complete. I really thought that. I know it's cliche, but it felt novel to me. I was like, there's nothing more I want out of life. My life is complete. What is it in your life that competes in importance with God that you feel like you can't live without? Where do idols come from? I love this line from Tim Keller. The human heart is an idol factory. That, that idols are not external to us. That the primary space an idol resides is not on the shelf or on Instagram. It's in our heart that our heart creates idols. It takes good things like success, career, <clears throat> love, marital, material possessions, even family, even my daughter, and turns them into ultimate things, right? They're not just a part of God's blessing, a part of how we experience joy, an overflow of his love, but it is joy, it is purpose, it is love. Our hearts define them as the center of our lives because we think they will give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we obtain them. On the next slide, this is, um, I'm thinking about what are the idols in your life, but also where do they come from? What parts of your, ta of your heart is reaching and clinging to those idols and why are you drawn to them? And then in verse 8, this is really the reason why I picked this passage. This one verse right here. Those who make them, make these idols, will be like them. Those who trust, those, and so will all who trust in them. We become what we worship. That what we worship starts to form our soul and our spirit. 
what we worship starts to imprint itself into who we are. So if you worship power, then you become controlling. The people in your family, you start suffocating because your arms and hands are tense around them. If you worship power, you become an anxious person trying to manipulate situations so that you have control over them. It's easy to become obsessive. If you worship acceptance from other people or from a specific person because you like them, it's easy to lose your identity, to become a chameleon, to reside at church as the best Christian, doing all the Christian things, knowing the Christian slogan, right? But when you're, co when you're with your coworkers, when you're with your friends who don't know Christ, you're talking the way they do, you objectify women the way they do, um, you don't know who you are anymore. There's not something anchoring your identity and values because your core idol is being accepted and you're willing to compromise your body, your value, your integrity, as long as you're accepted. It starts to shape who you are. You become a chameleon. If you're worshiping fame, it's easy to become self-obsessed and a narcissist. When someone else is shining, you want that spotlight back on you. So you'll do a song, a dance, or share a bigger story so that you can shine and not them. And everyone around you, their purpose is to fixate their eyes on you. Have you seen who you worship start to define who you are? Have you seen yourself be shaped by your sins and your idols? But it goes the other way as well. If we worship God, we become like him. If we worship God, we become like him. And being like him is really one of the greatest forms of worship. So how do, when, we, when you look back at your life, maybe you've said you've been Christian for 10 years, but look back over those 10 years and ask how have you been formed? Are you being more like Jesus? Or are you looking more like the world? Because that's who your real God is. So the psalmist exhorts us to trust in God. In verse 8 it says, all you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The psalmist gives a national call to Israel. He gives a call to the families and the tribes. Then he calls individuals to trust in God. You know, I think there's three ways in which we trust in the Lord. Three levels of trust, if you will. The first level of trust is the, the baby infant Christian. And we're basically trusting the Lord to do what we ask him to do. It's almost like treating God like Buddha or another idol. I'm interacting with you so that you'll do what I say. He's a cosmic vending machine. But I give grace to young Christians because at least they're trusting God for a result rather than trusting themselves or another person. This is pretty much how most of us start our Christian faith. But hopefully we start progressing. And we trust God not just to do what we say, but we trust God with the results. We go to him with an open hand. And we say, God, you know, I like this person, but whether they like me back or not, I'm going to continue following you. I'm going to trust you for that. I want this job, this promotion, but even if it pays me more money, I have an open hand to where I should go 
in my career. We're trusting God with the results. We're releasing control. We're not saying, God, bless this. We're saying, God, would you hold this in your hands? And I trust you with it. But I think there's a third level of trusting the Lord. And it's trusting the Lord with who I am becoming. And this is the prayer that God answers every time. God, not only do I trust you to open and do close doors, not only do I trust you to take away or continue to let me reside in pain and hurt, but I trust that wherever I am, I I'm there so that I could become more like you. I'm there so that I could look more like you, Jesus. So I could develop patience and kindness. So I could be a man or woman of integrity. I'm trusting in who I'm becoming. Therefore, I'm trusting for you in the results and the circumstance. I'm not just trusting with you with the external parts of my life. I'm trusting you with the internal. All right, we're almost done. Here we go. <clears throat> the ble greatest blessing is becoming more like Jesus. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless that house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Is the greatest blessing in your life not external to you? Not other people or other things or other positions, but that the greatest blessing in your life, the thing you're asking of God the most is that you would become like him because you love him. Is that you would be more like Jesus. And I think in that way, we're able to bless the people around us. When I got married, I thought, I want to be a good man so that Nina could have a good life. I want, I want to be patient for her. I want to be kind. I want to be gracious to her so that she can flourish, so that she could have a good life. But when I had my boys, I thought, I want to be a good man so that they can be good men. Because as a father, you imprint your children. And your greatest blessing to them as mothers and fathers is not what you could give them, but who you are. Who you are will always impact them the most. Who you are will curse them and bless them the most. And what the psalmist is saying is that God will bless our children as we trust him because we become more like him. We become who we worship. The greatest purpose is to worship God. Our last three verses. I know you got good job hanging in there, guys. The highest heaven belongs to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence, it is we who exalt the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. I'm just thinking about how worship purposes our whole life. If you don't have a theology of suffering, if your view of God is just that he gives you good things uh, all the time and those good things are what you want, not who you become, you, you will not know what to do when trials come. You will not know what to do when suffering finds itself in your home. But if you're saying, God, my greatest purpose in life is to worship you. Have we heard greater worship than Job? 
saying, you give and take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Have you heard greater worship than Stephen when he's being stoned or Daniel when he's about to go into the lion's den? If your purpose is worship, if your purpose is becoming, God will purpose every mountain and valley for your good and for his worship. My prayer prompt today, uh, I'm going to close in one more story, but I'm asking how can you, how do you want to trust God instead of your idol? And how would you become more like God if you did? We become what we worship. Look back at who you're becoming and you'll see who you're worshiping. You know, I really want to move to the Brea Theater. <laughs> I want that so bad. I want AC so bad. Um, there is some barriers where it caps out at 200 people. So right now, if, if as many people came to Brea Theater as, as are here now, we would have to go into two services pretty quickly. And, you know, we need more volunteers. We need more people who will help with that. But we're also not setting chairs or putting together most of our sound system. So there are hard things about it. But today, I just want AC. I just want the future of climate control of being able to determine how hot or cold a building is. And as we're going in, there's a part of me that wants to trust my leadership, that wants to trust my strategic mind, that wants to pull on every string in order for us to be there, right? Leverage every relationship to um, be a little sneaky and to say, hey, we're part of Ambassador and we're just changing our name, you know, and just kind of come right under their contract so that I wouldn't have to trust the city officials with this space. But God is asking, hey, is the Brea Theater in your hand or in mine? Is it a gift that I'm giving you or is it something that you're clinging and clawing for? If you're clinging and clawing for it, that means it's in your hands. If you have a death grip on it, that means it's in your hands. But if it's a gift, if you're trusting me, then that means your hands are open. That your eyes is on me and that I'm giving it to you. You know, if I'm a leader that continues to be someone who claws and, and manipulates and gets what I want because I'm pushing people over, that's who I'll become a bully. I'll become a narcissist. This church will be wrapped around me. But I'm hoping me in ministry and you in your career, you in your relationships, you as parents would be people who have their eyes on God, no matter how successful you've been or become, no matter how low the ditches are, you have your eyes on his face and you're waiting for his gifts and your hands and your heart are open to him. I think about some of the members at, at Ambassador praying about joining our community. Um, most of them are young families. And again, Dave and I, we have some back doors to them. Uh, my best friend goes there. He's still not going to come to our church, but he, he goes to Ambassador. Uh, they're merging with their Anaheim campus. Again, they're our mother church. And there's a part of me and Dave that's like, oh, let's woo people. Let's meet people. Let's tell people who we are. And then God said, are they in your hands or in my hands? Are you going to sell them to come to Renew? Or are you going to trust me to call them into your family?
and release other people to go to churches I'm calling them to. And over just these few short days, I think about some people that are called to our church who found us and they're trying to describe why they're here, but it's just calling. It's like, I just feel like I'm supposed to do family with you. And they've reminded me to pray that God would call them instead of me selling them. You know, if you're looking for a husband or wife, pray that God would call someone to you and you would be called to them. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to control. You don't have to sell, you know, advertise yourself. That God would just call you to them. If you're a parent and you're looking at your kid, would you surrender them to the Lord? And say, God, this is your gift. This person has your plans. This person is made in your image. And how do I, with open hands, shepherd them towards your calling in their life and not my calling for them? If you're in business, if you're a teacher, if you're an employee, how do you surrender your work life to the Lord so that business deal isn't your manipulation but God's gift to you? That promotion isn't all about how hard you're working, but God gifting it to you. And when things are tough, you're able to say, God, but I'm becoming more like you. You're calling me to the lion's den. You're calling me to prison so that I can give you worship, so that I know I'm not worshiping idols, but I'm worshiping you. Father, thank you so much for this community. Thank you for the beautiful brothers and sisters who are in this room. I pray, Lord, that in 10 years, we'll look back at who we're becoming and we'll say, man, we're becoming like you, Jesus. We're becoming more tender in the way we speak to our sons, our daughters, our wives. We're becoming more gracious as we hold the people around us. We're not judging them. We're not competing with them. We're not looking down on them, but we hold them with grace. God, Jesus, we're becoming more like you because we see the brokenness in our city and we want to step in and heal and love. May we worship you for 10 years and become like you at the end of it. We love you. Be gracious to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I would love for you to go back into your small groups. Oh, before that, we're going to take communion. Um, if you have given your life to Jesus, you're following, you're a follower of him, we would love for you to participate in communion. If you're still kind of discovering what Christianity is about, that's okay. We would love for you just to absorb, observe communion, and, um, and uh, we would love to offer prayer for you in the back and for anyone else who would like prayer. As we take the bread, we remember that this is the body of Christ broken for us. And we're taking it in remembrance of him. As we look at the grape juice, remember that it is his blood that he shed. And we take it in remembrance of him. Would you take communion with me this morning? Father, we remember your cross. And the greatest gift you've given us is to separate us from sins and idols that are lifeless and have a God who helps us, who is trustworthy, who loves us and is faithful. God, I pray that today we would forsake our idols, we would forsake our sins, 
and turn our hearts and our lives back to you. And that we become like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.